Miamians and listeners from around the world, welcome to another episode of Miami Global Net, where you get to know the people that support Miami's international landscape. This is your host, Alejandro Cervalli. So please subscribe whenever you get a chance to stay up to date on what's happening in our global city. Today, I bring you Andre Dobello. He is the founder of Do Wallet, and he's going to help us understand, obviously, the world of wallets, crypto, and why crypto and understanding that crazy world that we're that we're exploding down here specifically in miami so andrew thank you so much for jumping on the show and taking the time to speak to us today how are you i'm doing great thanks alejandro thanks for having me so tell us how did you start in this world you know it's um i think everybody has their own crypto story how they got involved a friend recommended crypto at some point and they got their feet wet um so i've had my feet wet since about 2012 but never really fundamentally understood the why of crypto um, until about four years ago. And I was doing a lot of uh, innovation and advisory work uh, in emerging markets and for large corporations. And, and it started becoming a trend um, whereby companies would ask, you know, what should we be doing about blockchain and crypto? And it dawned on me that it was, had, had kind of the, had um, passed an inflection point where it became, it became real. This was no longer just a, like a, a side fad. This was gonna be becoming part of the mainstream. And because I love rabbit holes, I started going down the rabbit hole and became kind of the, the, our, our, our expert in blockchain and crypto. I became kind of the, the go-to person within uh, my organization to talk about crypto. And, and cover it. I mean, so it was a natural evolution that took, us, that took me to engage in discussions with other like-minded individuals to start building something in space. Okay. All right. So when, when companies ask you, what do we do, you know, with, with crypto, what do you normally answer? So the, the answer is, um, it's, it's a very cynical one, which is beware of blockchain for the sake of blockchain. I think uh, a lot of people think that blockchain is this, is this kind of like hammer that solves every problem and is, and is good for every nail out there. But in reality, you know, it solves very specific problems and very specific use cases. And I think part of where we are right now in the crypto space is, is a bit of, a, of, a, of an outcome of, a, of an exuberance of people really thinking that it's the solution for all our societal problems. And I think while I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful um, technology and, it's, and it has potential to do so much, I think people are overestimating a little bit um, what it can do. Yeah, when people first start talking to you about blockchain, it does sound like if some sort of magic wand is going to solve all the world problems. It really is. I mean, it, it really does sound. And I think I've, I've even I've even kind of like had discussions. You know, when we're talking to specific um, clients that they think that you know crypto will solve their issues, and I and I. What I tell them is that you know crypto needs to be part of a larger holistic solution, of a larger portfolio of products and services, and even kind of back-end solutions to and how you serve your 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 means. You know, um, do wallet, and I can talk about what do wallet is and, and what what it does specifically, but having founded that and 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 we we started the, the wallet you know two years ago is when we exactly two years ago is when we launched it. It has given us a front row seat to a lot of these discussions and kind of been, and brought us in as advisors to a lot of a lot of companies and and uh, and entrepreneurs trying to build out 
innovative solutions for money transmission, um, for or even for telecom solutions to decentralize operations. So um, I think the, the most important thing about about you know crypto and blockchain is to understand it's not only its advantages and benefits, but it's also its limitations. So how did you how did you go from consulting to starting the wallet? So um, I was invited to discussion um, with uh, with a group of Miami entrepreneurs, including my sister, my sister who is a, is a, an amazing female founder and and a true honey badger in the ecosystem. Somebody's irreverent and kind of been, been a true libertarian, and she was she was doing crypto mining when it wasn't yet you know mainstream in Miami, um, in Doral, which is you know I think. For those in Miami, um, I think there's a lot of focus on what's happening in Wynwood and uh, yeah. cool stuff. But the real hardcore entrepreneur in Miami is in Kendall, is in Doral. You know, it's I've always been talking about kind of we should be looking at what's happening west of 95. That's kind of the true entrepreneur, the guys who are hardcore from Latin America who had, and if you were, if you succeed in Latin America as an entrepreneur, you know, you are a champion. So. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. I, I had the fortunate time to have a magazine. I had a business in Dora for three years. So I, I was at the pinnacle of like all the developers were finishing up their new buildings, all those huge complexes that you see now uh, were, were in mid-construction. So they, they advertised a lot in my magazine. So I learned yeah. a lot and I saw Doral, you know, businesses firsthand. Like I understand what you're talking about. And so, so in that meeting with uh, my sister was there, and then there was another another local entrepreneur who's built incredibly large software business um, out of Boca, Miami, and again, who is not part of this kind of zeitgeist, this startup zeitgeist, but is an incredible builder. And that discussion really kind of sparked um, a series of, of prototypes and projects, um, and an excitement about building something that is decentralized, that kind of fits in this, this framework of crypto, which ultimately ended up in the Duala project. And what really excited us about all this when we kind of went into the, this rabbit hole was the fact that at stake here is a concept of custody, right? And how it's changing. And, you know, like money, money regulations, money transmission regulations um, have as a foundation Custody. So when when a money transmitter, PayPal or, or any kind of Western Union, takes custody of your money and then is responsible for safeguarding that money and transmitting it to its final destination, that's the litmus test for 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 regulation and reporting and anti money laundering and so on and so forth. When the user is his own custodian. And you're just providing a software service by which he can interact with the blockchain and transmit his funds himself using his own private keys. It just changes everything. Mm. And so we were, we were genuinely excited about exploring what that meant in terms of building new interfaces, building new connections to, to finance and, and, um, and connecting a global, global audience to an app, you know, without, um, without having to build a bank in every single country in the world. So can you run by me the private keys again? So by me having my wallet, I have my own set of control of my funds. So 
a wallet, right? The wallet has really three components to it, right? There you have you have your public address, which is which is the basically anybody can consult a, that go on a, any blockchain explorer and see the activity that happened in that wallet address. Then you have your private key. And your private key is really what gives you permission to send commands to the blockchain and say, hey, transfer money from this address to this address. Okay. And the final element is what we call a seed phrase, which is um, in Bitcoin specifically, it's 12 word kind of mnemonic phrase, which is which you can use to recover your, your seed phrase in any other, any other software. So when we talk about people having paper wallets or, or, um, or like, uh, like backing up their, their private keys, it's about keeping those 12 words safe. Because, and, and, the, and the whole concept of self-custody is that if you memorize those 12 words, you can cross the border between Syria and Turkey without a single piece of paper, cell phone, nothing that can be taken away from you. And so it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a super powerful um, concept of that you can control an address on a blockchain without a single piece of software, password, or anything, just remembering these 12 words. So, I mean, I find this very interesting. So let's take a step back. Let's break it down more. Why, how did all this happen? Why did this happen? So it, it all stems from, from what happened in 2008. And we can even take a step backward. It happened in 1997 when Glass-Steagall was repealed. And that was a point where it became, and what Glass-Steagall did, it separated investment banking from commercial banking. So banks couldn't be investment banks. So lending banks, the moment you merge those two things, it became a lot more profitable for banks to do speculation and all those like uh, mortgage obligations that kind of really ended up in the 2008 crisis. And so there was a lot of ill will towards banks and the financial system because in that, in those 10 years, there was zero, zero investment in infrastructure and improvement of services because they were just minting cash um, with those um, derivatives. And out of that movement came two, um, two new movements. One, which was like, scrap everything. You know, this is horrible. The system is evil. Like these intermediaries are, are terrible people. And this guy kind of who named himself Satoshi Nakamoto wrote this white paper saying, guys, it took me seven days to transfer money from my own account in London to my own account in New York. It cost me 50 bucks and a terrible exchange rate. It's not possible at this, in this day and age, it's still so expensive. And so it's such a terrible user experience. And these guys, and I have no option. I have no alternative to this. And the white paper kind of detailed out this framework of like having this immutable blockchain that lives in thousands of computers. So there is no central authority that can block everything. Um, this incentive system of mining where you put your computer at the service of the network and in exchange, you get, you know, these little coins that kind of that come in. And uh, this aspect of, of participation as well and, and having um, some say in where this, this thing was going. So there was this aspect of disintermediation. So it's like removing power from these very powerful um, uh, players, like the banks who could just do raise and lower prices without any option. So there was this aspect of like, let's remove power from these guys. 
Um, and the other one is let's do things better. Like, like why, why, is, why are we still stuck in time? Why can't I just send a dollar to my buddy in India without jumping through a million hoops? And why is it taking so long? And the final is like, dude, you know, why can't, like there was also this incredibly incredible bitterness about um, this, um, the banks just, just taking up all these benefits without kind of the consumer having any of that benefit at the end. So that's how crypto was born. In parallel to all this, you had a whole fintech ecosystem said, listen, let's kind of take, let's take the ruin, let's build on the ruins of this crappy financial system. Let's build out um, the final mile on top of this old infrastructure. And then you, you have a concept of open banking and you had all these amazing innovations that really kind of went in parallel with Bitcoin and crypto. And so it, it stemmed from a lot of, a lot of frustration and, um, and uh, part of one of the key tenets of a lot of people who still invest in crypto today is this concept of self-custody. It's a concept that if I want to, I can hold my private keys and I can hold my own crypto. And that is super powerful because you don't necessarily need to do that in order to have exposure to crypto, but it's a wonderful mechanism of control. It's like, it's similar to guns in the US, you know, uh, to the right to hold guns. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a mechanism for control. Like, listen, I choose not to have a gun, but if I wanted to, I could uh, in case there is an evil government that comes in. That was kind of the whole, whole Second Amendment um, kind of like... Uh, concept. Um, and so the so crypto has been a wonderful mechanism for for creating urgency in the financial system to improve because now there's a viable alternative that people can be their own self-custodian. So you know what? Service levels better go up. Products and offerings, they better be incredibly competitive and compelling. Otherwise I'll always have the option to go digital myself. Well, competition does inspire the improvements in many areas in order for you to compete. Right? 100%. If 100%. either either you improve your customer service, stuff like even that simple, right? Or I can just jump on another alternative. hundred percent. And 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 what you'll find is you know the the amount of options that have come up in the last you know fourteen years since the two thousand eight crisis is astounding. The challenger banks. Um, you can, the, 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 the ease in which you can get a loan in the U.S., I mean, it's fantastic, but um, even kind of in other countries, in Brazil, you know, the rise of a new bank is also kind of astounding as well. And kind of the, the, the adoption of, of, uh, of new kind of frameworks for what, what banking should look like um, instead of getting stuck with these, uh, these uh, dinosaurs. But the, the interesting thing about crypto in general is, I mean, for the U.S., you know, we have a pretty good financial system that's pretty trustworthy. Even after the debacle in 2008, we still have FDIC insurance. You know, if, if, if anything goes wrong, you still have that insurance. You have these, 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 these government that is very trust, trustworthy. The real kind of killer use case is like in economies like Zimbabwe and Argentina, where there is no trust mm. in the central bank. And all of a sudden, once you hop onto crypto, like if, if, you buy, if you're able to get your, whole, get your hands on Bitcoin or Ethereum in your own wallet, you can access a bunch of um, digital services, swap them into dollar-denominated instruments. And all of a sudden, 
guess what? You have a dollar bank account, US dollar bank account living in Zimbabwe, which is inflation proof, which is protected. The government, the government can, can take that money. And for all those of us who are from Latin America originally, we all remember in the Corralito in Argentina where they kind of just whooped, just mm. locked up all the money. They took away all the money. And in Brazil in the, in the mid nineties where they froze all bank accounts you know, as an anti-inflationary method. Um, and so it's, it's incredibly powerful, incre incredibly powerful and, um, and uh, as a control and uh, as a hedge and access for, for emerging markets to, to other instruments outside of their countries. So you, when you mentioned uh, Satoshi, Right, the the one the individual who wrote the road paper, the white paper, uh, that it was expensive to transfer money, that it took forever. So, but now we have apps like Venmo and Cash App. So, what's the difference between what Satoshi created and Venmo, for example? So that's a super good question, and and I think I think listeners need to remember that 14 years ago, these things didn't exist either. You know, so these are all kind of like solutions that other kind of branch I talked about, the FinTech branch to solve that exact same pain point, um, which is the ease of, of moving money around from one person to the next and microtransactions. Um, and so the difference is, is that these solutions, Venmo and Cash App, happen on the original rails of uh, banking and, and centralized uh, custody. So, uh, Venmo or their kind of backup bank behind them are the underlying like uh, custodians of, of your, your money. And if Venmo decides that you know, Alejandro is a bad guy or gets, a, gets like a list that says Alejandro shouldn't be doing transactions, they can, they can cut you off at any time. And I think that is a fundamental um, thing about crypto, which is nobody could ever cut you off um, or, or remove access um, to your coins. And, and then, and then the, the whole, the whole there's, there's, a, there's a little saying in crypto, which is like, um, your, your, your keys, your coins, right? And when you go on platforms like Coinbase and you buy crypto there and you leave a crypto on there, you're, you're making Coinbase your de facto um, custodian. You're not kind of following the, the tenet of crypto of self-custody. Which is understandable. Self custody is also super, super overwhelming and dangerous as well because the buck stops with you. Don't lose your keys. Keys, <laughs> you lose your money. It's, like... it's it's very simple and 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 it's very it's a very challenging aspect. You know, when it comes to do wallet, you know, we do our best to make sure that our users back up their their phrases and they keep um, access to their 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 wallets at all times. But sometimes they they do lose them. Um, so I think there is there is this uh, there is this uh, difficulty and and uh, and block mental block users to kind of to, to shift to this new paradigm of saying like my keys my my money but also my responsibility and that if something happens it's it, there's nothing that anybody else can do for it. Do you think there's going to be companies out there that are going to help you store your keys? Well, there are. There are tons of them that, that are out there um, and um, that even have insurance products around those things. But it kind of, you, can't, you can't help but look at it and see that this is veering quickly away from the original intent and spirit of crypto, which was 
concept of you know self self sovereignty and, and self custody. And when you have any third party holding your keys, they become your custodians, and they can at any point cut you off and say, "Listen, um, there's been an issue here, you know, um, and uh, we can't I can't give you access to it." And while, while in the U.S., we're used to this as well because we're part of a very structured system. Um, in other countries, that's probably not as acceptable, not being able to access your, your coins and for political reasons, for political, being, being a political um, kind of pariah or, or so on and so forth. It kind of, it, it, it moves away from the original intent of saying, you know, like your coins, your, your, your keys, your coins. And um, so I think in the US, what you'll find is a lot, the vast majority of crypto is stored with custodians, with third party custodians. Pre-podcast, we were talking about, you know, one of the reasons also is regarding trust in governments and stuff like that. There are some parts of the world that you cannot trust the government, right? So we should see people adopting crypto, right? And we talked about pre-podcast, we talked about Venezuela, like they should have been a good case for people to jump on crypto to secure their monies, right? What are your you thoughts? Know, many detractors, many people who, who kind of um, detractors of crypto point exactly to Venezuela and say, hey, why didn't Bitcoin become, you know, the de facto currency um, for Venezuelans, you know, transacting every day? It's a perfect use case. It's a system that is incredibly unstable, um, lack of trust in the institutions, hyperinflation. And so instead, what you see is, you know, Venezuela is like, it's a, they're using lots of different things, lots of different solutions. Um, one of which they're very creative. They're using Zelle in Venezuela. Yeah. So they, they have, they, they open up bank accounts in Florida and then they transfer money to each other in Florida, like in their bank accounts. So, so like something like 70% of all transactions in Venezuela don't happen in Bolivares. You know, some, some of it's in crypto, but a lot of it is happening in US dollars in the US, not even inside their own economy. So, um, what you'll find is, so I think, for instance, another another bit, bit of a disappointing kind of like um, development is the fact that crypto for situations like Ukraine, right, where where you know it's war zone, ravage zone, and you, you've seen um, some you know help being delivered to the U.S. To, to Ukraine via crypto, and you've seen kind of even certain hacker groups offering crypto rewards for Russians to drop to drop their tanks, and so I'll send you a Bitcoin if you kind of just abandon your tank in the middle of the road. I did and, not know that one. That's cool. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I give you Bitcoin if you drop your tank. It's super powerful. And, and, and I think it worked. I had a few cases that people that took them up on the offer. Um, so it's super powerful use cases, but um, the detractors will say that um, why wasn't it more massified? Like why didn't, kind of, why, why didn't Bitcoin's price kind of like go to the roof once the Ukraine conflict began? Um, so there is, there's a lot of, a lot of, Still debate on whether on whether this, this this framework will will have truly mass adoption as a, as currency as a as a means of exchange, um, even inside war zones and unstable economies. So Satoshi was also complaining about fees, right? But then when we have crypto, that's also expensive. You know, if you want to buy something, you have to go through a couple of loopholes. Sometimes you even have to swap. There's fees all over the place. So the irony of it all is exactly what you said. You know, we, 
we're aiming for a negligible fee, something that would be fractions of a cent to transfer money from India to South Africa, if you wanted to. And but the problem that has arisen is when you're paying these, uh, these fees, right? And, and the fees kind of are what make, give priority in a blockchain to, for, so that your transaction gets prioritized. Because you have this network of machines receiving hundreds of thousands of transactions every second. How do you prioritize these and build these blocks that kind of gets fed into um, this approval queue? And, and so you have, for instance, in, in Bitcoin, you have things called minor fees. In, uh, in, uh, in Ethereum, you have these things called gas, which is kind of like how much you would put to get the transaction in. And while these fees were very small, years ago when, when Bitcoin was worth you know, $400 a coin, uh, now all of a sudden, like 40,000, you know, sometimes, depending on kind of what's happening with coin, depending on what's happening with the mining community, it got to hundreds of dollars in fees to transfer like $5 worth of Bitcoin to another wallet. And the same thing with Ethereum. Ethereum prices going up means that the gas fees kind of go up. Um, and so um, in order to get into some of these smart contracts that are based in Ethereum, you end up paying you know, hundreds of dollars. And one thing that I was, I was, I was alluding to earlier, which was um, there are these, these things called DAOs, you know, these are decentralized autonomous organizations, which is literally like, it, it's, a, it's like a giant smart contract where you can kind of deposit money into it and it does something, right? It, it lends at certain rates and you can make like interest. And for somebody in Brazil, for instance, who has, who was able to get their hands on Bitcoin and they were kind of jump through the hoops, they got Bitcoin, they could swap into Ethereum and into like, um, like into like a US dollar based coin um, and then they can deposit in a DAO and get money out, which is like incredible, right? Boom, a guy in Brazil is having like US dollar based account that is earning interest in dollars. That's like mind blowing. Mm. And without having a single bank account involved in the process or, or a KYC process. And, but these fees you're talking about make it, make it impossible. Almost because it's almost a hundred bucks right now in gas fees to be able to get into these things and kind of mint those smart contracts. And so this is it's it's a it's a challenge. How do you how do you keep the fees always accessible um, and reasonable so that there is there can be mass participation? Because in the end, what you want to avoid is 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 and is is that is a concentration of wealth again. Is that kind of idea that the whole concept was to be sharing. It's, mass participation in a larger movement instead of like just participation for those who can afford to 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 pay those fees can we talk a little bit about usage you mentioned pre-podcast that people are holding yes. more than they're actually using and that's what it seems like it seems like people are just buying coins left and right but i can't use them and things are extremely expensive if i want to buy something like you can see it with the NFTs. You could see it when buying land on, on, on these virtual exchanges, like, like 30 Ethereum for, or, or even some more. And that's thousands of thousands of dollars. <laughs> you know, I, I think there is, there's, there's two aspects of it, right? One is basically um, using, using crypto as a payment method, right? And I think that's been a bit underwhelming. I think there's been a few startups that have been trying to, to uh, remove some of the restrictions of, of crypto 
the disadvantages of crypto. Mm -hmm. There is a thing called, called the, the, the triangle of trade-offs crypto, right? Which is like on one, on one corner is speed, the other one is security, and the other one is decentral, decentralization, right? You can't be truly decentralized and fast while still being secure. And you can't be, you can't be like decentralized and secure and still be fast. So there are a lot of like what we call layer two solutions that are coming in that are trying to speed things up and make things while not compromising security. Um, and so you have like companies like Strike, you have companies like Flex, you know, trying to create this, this second layer infrastructure to make crypto more usable. But it's, it's still been very underwhelming. Now, when you see, um, when you see like NFT, the whole NFT market, and it's been, it's, it's been very positive in the sense that it's created a very specific use case for, for crypto. People, can, people need to be in crypto in order to participate and, and buy into these NFTs and, and mint these smart contracts that, are, that will give them ownership of these things. Um, so that's been a wonderful, wonderful exercise and use case of, of Ethereum to kind of buy into digital assets and, 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 and participate in that digital economy. However, um, we're talking about prices there as well. It's just kind of because of the exuberance that's happened here. And I think you'll have a lot of, a lot of critics talking about even, even fundamental um, uh, players in the space like uh, Vitaly, uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin, who is the founder of Ethereum. He's like, this NFT thing is crazy. It's nuts. It's out of control. And um, happy to talk a little bit about what NFTs are and kind of what, why they're, why they're meaningful and why they're, why there's a, there's a bit of a large bubble going on. I would like to do that. Yes, let's let's do that. Let's. Do <laughs> what are NFTs? <laughs> so so NFT stands for non fungible token. Uh huh. Right? And it, it's the same concept that we're talking about about self-custody, right? This idea that if I have this private key, I have ownership of, a, of an address. I have a, I have a sole ownership of an address that, is, that lives on this blockchain that is hosted on thousands of computers. So um, the concept of ownership of that, of a, digital, of, of a digital wallet can be extrapolated to see a, I'm an owner of a digital asset. I, I'm a true owner of that digital asset. And that's, that's non-replicable. You can't replicate that ownership. Yes. And so, so it really is assigning IP to an address, saying this address owns this piece of intellectual property. That is a fundamental um, aspect of NFT. And, the, and, and it's this idea of collectibles, online collectibles. And for art, digital art is a very interesting use case that mm. you can say, listen, okay, this address this address that has this, this artwork belongs to Alejandro and there's no way to do it unless, unless he transfers that piece of art to another address on blockchain. Alejandro can always 100% verify that he is the owner, the de facto owner of that art piece, no matter where he is in the world. And, and the concept of NFTs, I think people, people, people believe is very new. In reality, it's been around for a while, at least since 2014, where digital collectibles have been, okay. have been kind of launched and kind of have been used. And it's only a question of like a year and a half, you know, like two years ago, more, not probably a year and a half ago that really it, 
really took off, maybe a year, that really took off when there were some very large sales in the space. And then there was, hmm, okay, here is an interesting movement. And there was a lot of interest of, from people trying to get in on the ground floor and saying, okay, this is gonna be the next wave of disproportionate returns. How do I get on this? And so I think there's been a lot of irrationality, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of excitement. And we're starting to see some of the, some, some pretty big projects, you know, falling apart right now. And because I think people don't, people don't fundamentally understand that a lot of these NFT projects where you're buying ownership or access to something, there is a real world aspect to it. And somebody who's committed to, to doing those things. So for instance, there is, there is this one NFT of like, uh, like a frog, um, the artist is a frog and it was auctioned off for $500,000, this, this, one, this one NFT. And a few months later, the artist goes and, and, and issues another NFT identical for free. That, and now, now, now there's a lawsuit. Yeah, that beats the purpose. That's the whole reason <laughs> you sell the NFT for that. So you could never. So no was, there, was, there, was, there, was there a real world contract that the artist would never, mm. would never make the same, would, would never take the same kind of picture and, and mint another NFT? So then you get into like, gotcha. hey, there are some real world contracts that need to go hand in hand with what's happening on the chain. And for instance, you had like a basketball player, um, I forget his name, who had done an NFT project, raised 5 million bucks. And the NFTs kind of said, hey, listen, if you buy this NFT, you'll, you'll have access, one-on-one access to the player. You'll have to play one-on-one basketball with him. It's like this kind of non-fungible access card. And then, you know, kind of a few months later, the player's like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, these are terrible commitments that I made. I don't want to make this commitment. So listen, project's over. Done. So I, I think there is, there is this, I think there is this, uh, there, like, like I said, like exuberance and excitement whereby people are overlooking um, the fundamentals of what the real assets are underneath the NFTs. And this is important. Yes, in case you're wondering, I mean, you're listening. Why are we talking about NFTs? Is because you need to have a wallet so you can buy crypto, so you can buy an NFT. So it's you cannot, you can use cash to buy an NFT. <laughs> to my knowledge, to my knowledge, you can That's use your changing. credit card. That's changing. Okay. That's changing. You know what? People are giving access now, so you can kind of go and use your credit card and buy an NFT, and, and then they'll they'll do the magic in the background, okay. where they're, they'll hold it for you. So, and, and in the end, the real question is, okay. Is this really decentralized? Am, do I really have the ownership of this? Hmm. Or is it, or am I just buying a collectible on a website that is holding a collectible on my path? So I think, I think people need to, I think, there's, I think there's going to be a decoupling of speculation from, from utility in the near future. And what you'll find is a lot, a lot of these projects. Um, the ones that don't have you know, structure, real structure and real meat to them will fail. And then only the good ones will survive. The real ones with legitimate use cases and legitimate value will, will persist. All this has been very, very educational. So thank you. But I have, I have one more question for you. Can you give us a one minute breakdown on how to get started in this world, crypto and NFTs? Sure. I think, I think uh, it's, it's important to, 
to first of all, be knowledgeable about what you're doing. And um, there's a lot of content out there in terms of what is crypto, how it works and fundamentally. Um, there is one, there's one um, video that I think is just, has, has really for me stood you know, um, head and shoulder above the rest, which is from, um, from this channel called Folding Ideas on YouTube. And the name of the video is Line Goes Up, uh, the problem with NFTs. It's a bit cynical. It's a little bit kind of like, it's a little bit negative, but I think if anything, it, it's probably one of the best, like, like soup to nuts explanation of the mechanics of crypto and NFTs and how it works. Um, second of all, um, if you're in the US, open up a Coinbase account, super painless. And they take the custody aspect, they take care of that for you. They're, they're, they're insured, they're a highly like secure company, never had a major hack. Get your fee wet, understand like buy like, but don't, don't put your life savings in there. Start off small, buy a Bitcoin. And, and for every coin that you buy into, understand the underlying project. Start off with Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are the, 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 the mainstays and the ones that will persist for sure, that, that will go beyond the noise and they'll move up and down, but they'll stay there. So um, start off there. And as you kind of build out your knowledge, you can understand those two coins very well. By default, you'll understand everything else because they're all kind of like derivatives of those two main coins. So... Um, and I would do that. I think if, if you want to get your, your feet wet with self-custody, there's, there's many ways to do it as well. There's, I think, wallets like DoWallet will allow you to receive and send crypto using the direct interaction with the blockchain, which is something that you will not see at all within Coinbase. Coinbase is like, it's a bank. So you, you'll see almost like it's a Citibank account. Uh, you won't see kind of what it means to pay minor fees, what it pays to, what it means to pay, pay gas, you know, using Ethereum. And so if you want to get your feet wet there, you know, I would say kind of get your money in Coinbase and then kind of send money to a wallet like the wallet so you can see how that works as well. Um, and what it means to have self-custody, the whole concept of 12 words. And then more advanced use case, if you really get into the self-custody aspect, you can buy a hardware wallet like Trezor where you're holding kind of a little hard drive that is super neat and cool. There's, there's card formats where you're, where you're actually kind of holding off outside the network. So these are cold wallets where you're just not even touching the rest of the, of the ecosystem. So um, I would encourage everybody to learn for sure, get their feet wet. Don't get overexcited before you understand what you're doing um, because you don't wanna get hurt. I think like any, like any investment, like any, anything you do with your money, you should always be, be careful um, with what you do and should always understand it before diving in too deep. Andres, thank you so much. This has been educational. Thank you for jumping in the show and sharing your story with us here at Miami Global Net. My pleasure. My pleasure, Alejandro. It's like this Miami community is incredible, uh, very reverent. And it's no wonder that crypto has taken off, Miami, because this is, this is a community of builders, of, of uh, revolutionaries, people who, who want to kind of take the next level. And uh, so very proud to be, to be part of this movement.